Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton, and joining me as always is my friend, my colleague, my co-worker, my neighbor, my <laughs> my frenemy, Mr. Mark Daly. Now, I've got to address an issue before we get started, because this okay. is normally where we'd have a little bit of friendly banter. I need to address a scandal that has arisen since our last podcast. We have been accused of clickgate. And by that, I mean that during one of our most recent podcasts, Uh-oh. one of us... One of us may not have been muting his mic when they weren't speaking and was continuing to use their computer, meaning that the (laughs) mouse clicks were being picked up. And what's super funny about this is a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts and there was constant mouse clicking and I actually tracked them down on Twitter. They didn't have a day. I wasn't able to. There you go. There you go. I wasn't actually able to DM them and give them the feedback. So it's deeply, deeply ironic that this happened. Now, full disclosure. And I don't want to, I don't want to damage our relationship, but Mark, you know, you're a lot like I am. And sometimes when you get going and you have one of your really great pieces of analysis, it can go on for a few minutes or a Mm -hmm. a 15 minute block or a half hour. And again, I'm (laughs) equally as guilty as this as anybody, but full disclosure, clickgate was me. I'm going to take the bullet. It was me, but I have an excuse you were talking about something. I'm sure it was very interesting. I wasn't listening, <laughs> but I got a very important work email and I was replying to a work email and I'd forgotten my mic mid podcast. So just to share with everybody, the sheer professionalism of this podcast, I was multitasking. It's on me. I apologize. <laughs> my friend, how are you? I'm doing good, sir. It's it's almost weekend. It's been another crazy busy week here, but I, I say this every week. It's like, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel and every week I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but hey, at least to this weekend, I don't actually feel bad that there's no Grand Prix this weekend because I feel that I can do some other things and feel like I can kind of recharge a little bit. And then we're going to Miami. Well, we're not going personally to Miami, but F1 is going to be in Miami in a week's time, which is amazing. It's the culmination of a couple of years of waiting and it's finally going to happen. So really super excited about that. But yeah. It's it's been it's it's been a week. Let's just uh, put it that, and you know the whole nosegate. Or I was gonna say nosegate because you know the wheezing, nose <laughs> breathing that's coming next. You know that that would be on me because there's a little bit of allergy season going on here. But uh, I've tried to keep my nasal passages free, <laughs> so not to be distracting. But it's all good, sir. It's all good. Yeah, and COVID is almost done in our house. So we had round two. Everybody that reached out, thank you very much. The good news is we're fully vaccinated. Our four-year-old isn't, but his symptoms were pretty mild. The good news was this time we actually had tests. So we were actually able to test ourselves and confirm. So we more or less isolated for a a seven, eight-day period. Um, 
back to normal now. Little one's off to a, a little bit of dental surgery tomorrow, but that's mostly because he has negligent parents that don't clean his <laughs> teeth enough. So he's got some cavities that we've got to deal with, but everything's good. And my friend, like you said, I'm getting excited for Miami. We've got a great list of stories tonight, but I'm hoping if you don't mind, if I could do a quick fantasy update, because I had some people reach out immediately you, you before can, the show. But I was just, I wanted to know, like, just because this, not that we have the rights to this sort of thing anyways, but it's just like, is it cool to play Will Smith? We're going to Miami is like Will Smith persona non grata or is we are things kind of cool with him again because that whole thing with him at the Oscars man that I mean I love Will Smith and I, I I just that was just such a bizarre moment anyways we don't need to go down that road it's just like I've you know ever since F1 said that we're going to Miami I've had we're going to Miami kind of like never mind let's do the fantasy update bail me out here bro <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know if that's a topic that we want to talk about and playing the song would certainly get us demonetized on <laughs> Apple podcast almost immediately fantasy update let's look at this so number one right now with 957 points Lando Norfish Tom K followed up by team three from Jesse H with 950 45 points. Team three is Brittany H hailing from the United States with 929 points. Number four, Rubens Ferrari by Ruben J with 922 points. Number five, Crazy Bomb, Gabrielle H from the US with 915 points. Number six is Tom hailing from Sweden with 909 points. Number seven, Salt Lake City F1, Sean B with 908 points. Number eight, Carl H with 905 points. Number nine, Mickle and Dime, Grayson H, 903 points. And then rounding out the top 10 is a second team by Jesse H, hailing from the Great White North with 901 points. And if you're curious, I am sitting in the 200s, getting absolutely murdered by the fact that I chose to put two Canadians on my roster. <laughs> there you go. Hey, that, that's awesome. Congrats to everybody that's uh, doing so well in fantasy right now. Let's uh, just to sort of keep uh, things going here on the update side here, just to, to kind of clear the palette, clear the slate before we get into this whole schedule that we've got worked out for the show tonight. Just a quick reminder on the World Championships at the moment. On the constructor side, Ferrari, 124 points, 11 points ahead of Red Bull have 113. Mercedes, third in the constructor's uh, championship. Fourth is McLaren and Alfa Romeo rounding out the top five. A good start to the season for the uh, Alphas. And then on the driver's standing side, uh, Charles Leclerc, 86 points. Max Verstappen, he's closing up. Uh, not not quite to the huge amount of daylight that we saw before Imola. Max now 59 points, just five points ahead of his teammate Sergio Perez, who was third. George Russell, fourth. And then fifth is Carlos Sainz, who has 38 points. And boy, has Carlos left a lot of points out on the track there over the past uh, couple of races. And as we were talking about uh, with, with Tim Haraney last weekend on the race recap that we did for the uh, Emilia Romagna or the uh, Imola Grand Prix, boy, did that Ferrari lead in the Constructors Championship evaporate so quickly. But, you know, you have that disastrous result uh, for, well, obviously for Carlos for two races in a row. And then Charles, obviously, with that disastrous pit stop and debacle that uh, resulted because of his little off-track adventures there late in the race that uh, really kind of flipped the championship upside down. But anyhow, there we go. When we when we were doing our spaces chat before the show, and I like to do a spaces chat on Thursday night before the podcast, it kind of gets those Formula One juices flowing, mm. the oil, the coolant, if you will. Uh, Marshall had made a really great point because the conversation had started to go down that path about, hey, are the regulations working? 
are we seeing what we expected to see given the fact that we completely reset the rule book from an aerodynamic perspective and started over? And Marshall, one of our great listeners who probably should be hosting his own podcast because he's pretty sharp when it comes to anything F1 related. He made a really great point that, look, you know what? It might seem like a couple of teams are running away and really have an advantage right now because yeah. they really nailed the regulations. But he made a great point that is if you look at the field spread, the spread of points distributed across the teams, Every team so far through four races has scored a championship point. McLaren, who is nowhere in Bahrain, has now scored a podium. And if you look at last year, we had two teams finish the championship without any points. This year, everyone's already scored a point. So if it's brought the teams closer together from a championship perspective and made points distribution a little bit more equitable, we're in a pretty good place. So I'm still very optimistic for the next couple of years before we get to 2026, which we'll talk about a little bit later today. All right. Well, before we talk about uh, Formula One specifically, there was some motor racing news that we've uh, talked about here locally in Vancouver over the past uh, week or so. So we've got a bit of an update on that. And you've done the sleuthing, 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 I think. Sleuthing? Yeah, sleuthing. I don't know. We'll it's, like I said, it's been yeah. a long day, so forgive the, the, the mispronunciation. It was you've done the sleuthing and managed to get a, a statement from the race organizers uh, because the Formula E race that was set to go down on Canada Day long weekend at the beginning of July here in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia was canceled about a week ago. And uh, you did reach out to them and they did have uh, they did have an update for us. So, Mark, over to you, yeah, sir. Yeah, a bit of a statement. So, shortly after the show dropped last Friday, it was announced by the Formula East race organizers in the city of Vancouver that the race is not going to happen this year. 2022 is to be the debut race. It was going to be a street track downtown near where we used to host Indy or Champ Car, dating it back as far as 2004, I think, was the last year we hosted yeah, it. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be about right. Race. Yeah. Yeah, almost 20, 20 years ago. So I was a little bit disappointed. My wife and I, we had bought tickets. We were excited to take our son. Mm -hmm. Um, The race isn't happening. It is one of two or was to be one of two races. The New York City race is still scheduled to go ahead. And we have a lot of listeners that have tickets and are excited for that. But it was canceled. Now, we reached out to the race organizers who we actually know because we've been working with them in the hope that we would be able to help promote the event um, going forward. Because it's, it's advantageous to us. It's advantageous to the community. And as open wheel racing fans, we want the sport to be successful and we want to help promote the sport countrywide. We've done a little bit of work with them in the past few months. And I think from my perspective, they were incredibly organized and incredibly professional and great to work with. So this came as a bit of a shock to us, but we did ask them a couple of questions and they did have a statement for us. So I'm going to read this. And this statement needs to be attributed to the OSS group. That is the group that was organizing the race. And I quote, after intensive review with the city of Vancouver, OSS Group has had to make the incredibly difficult decision to postpone Canadian E-Fest until 2023. The City of Vancouver fully supports the postponement. Delivery of a world-class event is of the utmost importance to the organization. We will be communicating with ticket holders via our ticket partner to inform their option. OSS is already hard at work in preparing for 2023. So that second to last statement about the fact that their ticketing partner is going to be reaching out to ticketing holders is positive because that was not one of the things that was immediately addressed. And I think of the mm-hmm. 30,000 people that had bought tickets, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, what happens? Are, are you simply going to hold my money and carry my tickets over to 2023? Or am I going to have the opportunity to have a refund? So it looks like that's been addressed. And presumably that means the ticketing partner will reach out to customers and offer to carry their 
take it over to 23, just an assumption or offer a refund. If they do that, everything's fair, everything's square. But again, sure. like like you and I have said together so many times, we were very excited. We want to see this in our city. We mm-hmm. want to see the growth of open wheel racing. And it seems like the group from everything that we know and that we've experienced personally are, are a world-class group of people. So hopefully 2023 can be a roaring success. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we'll keep you guys up to date if and when there's uh, more news. So as they say, watch this space or listen to this space, I guess, depending how you're consuming <laughs> this show. Anyways, uh, there was another bit of a Formula E news that we wanted to talk about. So just uh, why don't you hit on that uh, really quickly, because that's the new generation of car that's been uh, unveiled. Yeah. And again, I think this is very, very interesting for our listeners. And one of the things that we promised to do this year is to continue to dial people into the world of Formula E. Formula E is now effectively becoming an open wheel racing series. So next year, they're going to be introducing an entirely new car. They call it the Gen 3 car. It's going to be open wheel, meaning that the wheels, neither front or rear, are going to be covered. So it'll better resemble an Indy car or Formula One car. It has a radical new design. The current Gen 2 cars, in my personal opinion, are beautiful, but it's going to mix up the the balance and the ingredients of the car. So you won't have brakes in the rear. You won't have mechanical hydraulic brakes in the rear, but you'll have a heavy duty braking configuration at the front. The car will create significant regenerative power. So it will recover a significant amount of electricity from those front brakes. It mm-hmm. actually has two electric motors, a 250 kilowatt mo- uh, motor up front and a 350 kilowatt battery in the rear. It has a one style of Hancock, 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 a standardized tire, which is designed to be used in, in all conditions. Um, Formula E and the FIA are indicating that this car is capable of 200 miles per hour. So roughly 320 kilometers an hour, given the right circumstances. And it looks very, very cool. And again, it really relies into Formula E's vision for a sustainable future. Virtually every element and aspect of the car is fully recyclable. It looks fantastic. It sounds like it's going to be very, very cool from a performance perspective. It's smaller, more compact, which should make for better racing. It doesn't create a significant amount of turbulence. So we know already that they do make for great racing when the circumstances are right. But it's really, really cool to see the growth of Formula E and hopefully the exposure continues in in North America. Yeah, absolutely. So that was, uh, you know, like I say, it's, it's been a bit of a week here. So very interesting that, uh, you know, at least locally here, we have the, the same week that we get a cancellation. They tease us with the new cars, but hey, maybe we'll get to see them exactly. in the streets of uh, Vancouver next year. So why don't we move along to the um, Formula One news? So poor old Charles Leclerc has been robbed of his 300,000 euro watch. And uh, he just said that the the whole investigation, the whole process with the police that are looking into the matter is uh, proving not to be smooth. Anyways, uh, this was uh, stolen when he was out uh, for an evening in Tuscany on Easter Monday, so just last week. And this is, uh, of course, a very, very unique Richard Mille uh, watch. So 300,000 euros. Why don't you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, so presumably, well, not presumably, but reportedly, he was approached by some fans who had asked for a photo and they grouped in together again reportedly he'd been asked by a group of fans for a photograph he'd come in close to the fans uh they took the photo he departed the fans left and he shortly thereafter discovered his watch was missing so Mm. presumably this was something that was planned by some folks that are extraordinarily good at pickpocketing but they managed to get his watch off him reportedly while this photo was being taken now i do have to ask you and 
I am pro-capitalism. I love aspiring to own lovely things. I like having <laughs> nice things. Sure. I just don't know if I want to live in a world where people walk around wearing 300,000 euro watches. But obviously, this is a sponsorship. This is a commercial arrangement between him and the watch manufacturer. Obviously, he did not buy that watch. He is being paid to wear it or being given it to wear. But it is crazy to think that there are people walking around out there with a watch valued at I say the price of a condo in the city that we live at, my friend. <laughs> I know it, it's just insane, but like, like you say, it just uh, makes you wonder. Like the, the the whole setup there. I mean, that just seems to be a, a little bit uh, too convenient to, to be a, a once off. Um, you know, what, what do you want to call it? Sort of a spur of the moment kind of thing. Exactly. It, it has like a very exactly. sort of targeted uh, feel. I mean, compared to what happened to Lando last year at Wembley after the Euros and all the shenanigans and the you know, troubles they had with the crowd because remember his watch was stolen after that, uh, that the soccer match That's after, right. and, but you know, that, that was just mayhem and just poor behavior. Let's put it uh, politely after England lost to Italy at the Euro final last year. But I mean, he was just basically confronted by a bunch of people and somebody, I don't know if he was recognized by the person who saw the, you know, that stole his watch, but uh, they, they probably saw, Oh, dude's got a nice watch. I'm, I'll have a little bit of that. And uh, that, that's what happened. Daily, but, uh, yeah. I, I never thought about that. That's a really great point that you just made. So when you think about it, you look back to that Lando example. He goes to Wembley. He's posting photos of himself wearing the watch on social media. Mm. He drove to the event in a McLaren, which is a highly identifiable car and color. He sure. also <laughs> posts photos of himself with the car. I mean, these drivers aren't making it difficult for somebody that's a little bit opportunistic and thinks they can get away with a two or three hundred thousand dollar or two or three hundred thousand euro watch. And also the teams and these sponsors are putting them in a fairly compromising position by even asking them to wear these in public. Like I get it. Sure. If you're yep. going to be on a photo shoot, if you're going to be on the podium, if you're going to be in the paddock, for sure. But when they're wearing them in, in public, it seems like they're being at and maybe some of them are just choosing to do it and they would do it even if they weren't being sponsored to do it. But it feels like very compromising. And you know, I've got some jewelry that I really like to wear, but I sure pick my time and my place. And even Vancouver, which is a relatively safe city, mm -hmm. I'm not wearing a lot of it on the streets of Vancouver. And I promise you, none of this is worth 300,000 euros. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, well, I wouldn't say it's funny, but uh, years ago <clears throat> when I was living in Europe, a friend of mine, he had an internship in, uh, in Brussels. And uh, while he was uh, staying there, while he was living there, uh, we went uh, down to visit him for uh, a weekend because it was uh, his birthday. And I mean, you know, Holland, Belgium, they're very close. It was only a couple hour drive. So we thought, you know, what, what the heck? Anyways, we were out uh, in, a, in a bar on a Saturday night and there was a guy... <clears throat> excuse me, in the bar, he was kind of performing, doing stuff like that and doing magic tricks. And so he said, well, I'll show you though know, how quickly it is for people to steal like a watch. So he said, uh, everybody like, and there, there's about four or five, uh, we, there was a whole group of us, but there was like a, a smaller group of my friends and we were just standing there. So about four or five. So everybody, uh, you know, put your hand out that's wearing a watch. So we all put our hand out. He did this little thing where he distracted us. And then the next thing I knew he was dangling my watch right in front of us. And I, like right in front of my face. And I mean, it happened literally in the blink of an eye. 
And so he just said, you know, you just might want to be a little bit more careful. And it wasn't a super expensive watch uh, that, that that I had at the time. Anyhow, we after he went away, we're all kind of like mind blown. And then so we went and looked at it. And so what I had was just, um, it, w- it was a, like a leather strap with like the little clasp on it. And everybody else had a watch that had like a steel band with like the clip on it. So he deliberately picked my watch because, you know, I guess he could, you know, flick that thing open and just get, 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 get the pin out rather than having to unbuckle buckle one of these steel clasps or what metal clasp on, on the other watches. So I don't know what it was like for, for Charles, but the people that know how to do these things, they know how to do it really, really quickly. Cause I mean, he literally, this fellow in, in this bar that we were at literally distracted us for a second. And then when I turned my head back around, my watch was dangling right in front of me. I mean, it was, it, it was crazy. So, I mean, it just goes to show wow. you that, uh, I guess we, we've kind of solved, well, I wouldn't say we solved the mystery, but I think we've kind of uh, proven our own, uh, you know, theory that this was a, a targeted uh, thing for Charles. Yeah. Kind of sucks though. No matter who you are. Okay, next one. Uh, let's see what story do we have next. Oh, so FIA has decided to uh, kind of put the brakes on the sprint race expansion. So let's uh, talk about this, and then uh, before we go into the break in a couple of minutes. Now everybody kind of knows that that that's been listening to the show for a while is that we about a year ago were very excited about the whole prospect to get the sprint racing thing going, the sprint qualifying, and it's. It's obviously morphed since its introduction in 21 and we've kind of cooled on the whole idea. I, I kind of like the twist that they've kind of added to it this year. I, I, I like that they're kind of getting away from this whole sprint qualifying thing and they're just embracing it as a sprint race and there's different points scoring and they seem to sort it out. Okay, who gets the historical pull and all that sort of stuff. However, it's still not quite perfect. And because, you know, I'm not like a wildly crazy excited person when it comes to hold the sprint race uh, thing. I was happy that if they were going to bring it back this year, keep it at like three and then they want to go to six and they basically want to do it like, you know, five sprint races a weekend now. And well, I'm obviously exaggerating a little bit, Um, but I think blocking it, you know, according to this uh, report, I think is a good thing because I think where they're kind of they're going with it is personally for my liking is way too much. I I thought that where it was with three races a year, that seems to be about right. Considering what it is, it is kind of unique, but I don't need to see it every other weekend to be quite honest. If you flash back a couple of months ago, we were talking about the fact that Formula One wanted six sprint weekends this year. And the objection came from a number of the bigger teams who agreed that it's a good thing to have six sprint races, but they also wanted some additional, uh, some additional freedom in the cost cap, let's say. They wanted as much as $5 million of added value put into the cost cap so they could spend some money. And some of the smaller teams were like, well, you don't really need it. It's not going to cost you $5 million to compete in sprint races. And for the smaller teams, sprint races are good because it's a little bit of additional exposure, plus it's added revenue for them because sprint races presumably draw bigger media dollars from a TV broadcasting perspective. They draw bigger ticket revenue for the race organizers. more money to go around. So it was supposed to be six this year. It went to three because some of the bigger teams couldn't agree. Now, in this case, it's interesting because the teams now agree. So Formula One's on side. 
all of the teams are on side, but the FIA themselves are objecting. So, and I'm quoting here from motorsport.com for the sprint expansion to get put into regulations for 2023, it needed a simple majority of 25 votes from the 30 on offer. The teams have 10 votes, one vote apiece. The FIA has 10 votes and F1, the Formula One commercial body owned by Liberty has 10 votes. In this case, Formula One was in 20 or 10 votes. The F1 teams were in 10 votes, but the FIA knocked out. They tapped out. And Hmm. their explanation, their explanation is that we will do it, but we ourselves need more money because there's added resources necessary to support a sprint race. And again, the way I've put it in the past is the FIA doesn't own any of these race series. It does not own Formula One. To me, the FIA is simply a contractor that is hired by Formula One to help govern the sport Mm -hmm. and to help support the safety aspects of the sport. So in this case, the FIA is simply being asked, hey, we want to do six sprint races. And the FIA is pushing back and saying, yeah, we can do that, but we need more money. So a lot of the criticism this week of the FIA has been, they're greedy, they're greedy, they're greedy. And now the pressure is being put on the FIA to explain, why do you need additional money to support six rather than three sprint events. So there was a statement, and I'll read this quickly, in a statement issued by the FIA after the meeting, the governing body said, with the first of three sprint events of the 2022 season popular with fans and stakeholders last weekend at the uh, Grand Prix, Formula One and the teams were supportive of an extension to six sprint events for the 2023 season, running with the same format as 2022. While supporting the principle of an increased number of sprint events, the FIA is still evaluating the impact of this proposal on its trackside operations and personnel and will provide its feedback to the commission. So they voted it down and it sounds like it's because effectively they want a bigger share of the total available revenue to support their trackside operations. It kind of makes sense. Yep. Okay. I I do want to pick up this. There was a couple of things I just still want to discuss about the whole sprint racing. We'll do that in a second. We're just going to take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. Armor all, less work, more clean. Terms apply. 
Okay, well, welcome back to the podcast. It is always up to speed with Formula One, Mr. Mark Daly, Mr. Mark Hamilton, talking about all the latest Formula One news and a bunch of other stuff uh, besides. Uh, just before the break there, we were talking about the whole... The whole ongoing sprint race uh, saga and the fact that um, that the FIA is now pushing back and resisting a little bit. And, and it's funny, too, because it, it was funny because um, the, the first sort of thing that popped into my mind is that the FIA is kind of like a regulator, but not really. It's kind of like you say, they're they're kind of like a contractor that's but they're not. And they're also like a they, they kind of yeah. occupy, it's it's a very. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very strange arrangement uh, that they have. It is. You know, but I was going back and thinking of some of the discussions we were having with uh, Tim not so long ago. And it was just that, uh, and Tim made a great point that, yeah, Sprint Race is supposed to be quick. It's not supposed to be long. But the thing is that we're not really seeing anything other than a sprint. And he would like to see the the the, the sprint race length extended by maybe another five, maybe 10 laps or something like that to really get the tire dig into it. Because, you know, they're going along, but, you know, it, it is the sprint, but we're not really seeing them to have to deal with anything too much other than stay ahead of the car in front of them. But it would be kind of cool. I think that would make it really interesting if you had something like the tires starting to go but, you know, I, I, I keep thinking about this and I don't really see a way how this is going to work unless they come up with like a specifically set of engineered tires for the sprint races that have like a, a different set of degradation that it's going to happen sooner and quicker. And that's just not a road where we want to go down because this whole concept of tire degra degradation that we're seeing in all the different compound tires, I mean, that that's manufactured anyways. It's like, why add another thing on yeah. top of it? So I would like to see it. But then, you know, like when you start extending the length of the sprint race, then it's kind of like a fine line to walk because it is supposed to be like a, a quick and you know, very quick proceed. Well, not procedure, but a, a very quick event. But it'd be interesting to see if you could factor in some of that little bit of unpredictability into a shorter race like that. I, I think maybe that's where I'd like to see it go in a perfect world. I just don't see a way how that'd be easily implementable unless you try and eke out a little bit more uh, race distance. But then, you know, where do you cross the line of being a sprint to something a little bit? closer to almost like a I would say a full Grand Prix but more of a I guess you could say like more of a proper race in its Grand own Prix. right yeah, yeah yeah can I can I pitch you my new vision for the best pitch possible away, sprint sir, weekend? yes you may as you know I was very hot on the idea of you were hot to qualifying. Trot. yes you were yeah Last year, I was big. And again, I didn't <laughs> like the idea. I've never liked the idea of sprint qualifying. I've always thought it just hmm. needs to be a race. It's a race for points. Call it what it is, a yep. sprint race. I don't like the fact that's qualifying. But anyways, here's my vision. But that's what I like about so, the fact that they've extended the points that uh, to, to this that's year. That's a good thing. Yes. That's a good thing. So here's my vision. Friday, free practice one, free practice two. Saturday, free practice three, qualifying. Sunday, the Grand Prix, but with a twist. Okay. The top eight points finishers get all the points that would have been available in the sprint race. So let's just do away with the entire nonsense of the sprint race and the confusion and the complexity and the extra resources required. And you just put more weight on the Grand Prix. 
and you have four of these a year or maybe mm-hmm. six. I don't care. Call them whatever you want, but they're okay. going to be more prominent events on the calendar because there's more points available. So you would know on these six race weekends, but, there's a Grand Prix with incremental points. But, okay, spoil but, my day. But, Ruin it for but, me. But, you know, I, I I seem to remember having a conversation with with a guy who, really weird, he looked and sounded a lot like you, <laughs> who said he really hated the time going back, you know, was it 2014, 2014 with the double points finishes that at the a, end? But that was a gimmick. That was a gimmick. Waiting till <laughs> the final was, race of the was, season and was. having double points yep. was a Bernie special. That was a gimmick. <laughs> this, is, this is better because I came up with it. Okay, sure. Fair enough. Yeah, but I, I mean, there's different ways to... to to do it, but I, I think that in, in the fact that they're having this sprint race, they're trying to build like an extra spectacle into it. I mean, we kind of t- coined the term that it would be like a, a major, you like, got like it. we you see got with it. other sports, right? And this year, it's at it's at Imola and all the whatever. I can't remember the other ones off the top of my head, but we saw it last year. We saw it at Silverstone was the first one, and there, and there there was you know I I found like a little bit of excitement about it, uh, you know, re- really getting looking forward to it, and then it does have a bit of a different uh, feel to. It. And, and I think that that's part of what Formula One is kind of banking on is that it just has a little bit more, what do you want to call it, like a little bit more hype, a little bit more more buzz about it. But then if the spectacle of the sprint race itself doesn't really live up to the hype, then is it really is it really justifiable? Does it really deserve the buzz that they're trying to give it? Or are they just trying to almost artificially promoted. It's like it's almost like the DRS of uh <laughs> of promoting race events as you know yeah. DRS. That's a great of, that's a yeah. great analogy. The the other question for you then is sure. let's be realistic. We have okay. twenty three races this year, twenty two on the calendar, but we know we're gonna find a way to end up with twenty three. We'll have that second race in Singapore. Yep. We both know that within the next couple of years, or at least the next time the Concord agreement is amended or updated, yep. we're gonna finish with twenty five races. So okay. twenty five races plus six sprint races. Do you honestly have the headspace and the personal bandwidth to consume that? I don't. I don't, my friend. You know, and and that sounds like ironic because, I mean, you and I are so invested in Formula One. We have such a love affair with Formula One. I mean, besides doing the podcast twice a week and then you doing like all these like amazing like interviews and things like that. And then the fact that we still have other things that we do and we're still talking about where we're constantly messaging and talking about it when we're not recording just shows like how much of our own personal time that we're investing in it. And if, if people like us are saying, whoa, wait, there actually is a point where my cup runneth over. Maybe you guys need to, you know, take a good hard think about it. I mean, it, it is that and it, it feels weird to say this, but when I realized last weekend at Imola, it was going to be quote unquote, one of these, um, you know, major weekends and just how crazy busy things have been for me in the past month or two. I have to admit, I was almost, I wouldn't say annoyed, but I was at the point as just like, I don't know how I can handle all of it. This, I don't know how I'm going to consume all this, uh, this formula one this weekend, because Friday, I did have the option to, you know, watch qualifying during, you know, because we, we could have watched it live in the morning here on the West Coast, considering like the nine hour time difference between here and Italy. So that that was an option. I could have watched it at a time where I'm awake and vertical compared to most of the time in the European races where I'm in bed and I wait till, uh, you know, the, the, the event is over and watch it afterwards. But I found it a, a real 
almost a burden on my, my time. And, and I kind of hate to use that term, especially so early in the season, but I was kind of thinking, well, how am I going to approach it uh, for the, the the rest of the races uh, this year? And, you know, I, I'm just kind of treating it as a one-off just to the fact that I haven't had a lot of extra time uh, recently. But I was thinking, okay, well, if they do go to 25 and they do six sprint races a year, I can I can see people and numbers kind of like dropping. Because, I mean, you're going to get the hardcore that will tune in each and every race and practice session and qualifying session and sprint race. But for a lot of people... It just uh, it comes down to it that there, there's one thing that you cannot manufacture in life, and that is time. That's the one commodity that we all share that we can't make more of. We we could waste it easy enough, but we can't manufacture more time. Connie in the live chat just make a great statement here, referring to what you were just speaking about. Uh, Connie says, honestly, they, being Formula One, don't care if we watch every race. It's going to be like basketball soon. Just watch when you can. And I think great point. I'm going to extrapolate yep. from her point here a little bit, which is F1 just wants to grow the pool of potential viewers. And you know what? Mm. Even if you get 60% of a gigantic pool, it's better than 100% of a much sure. smaller pool of viewers. And I think that's where it's going to come. That's a great and point. Maybe you and I get to a point where we have to pick and choose because last year, those triple headers, man, I know it's not a big ask, but it's a lot for me to ask me to sit down three Sundays. Cause for us, it's not just, it's not just the Sunday watching the race. It's you got to watch qualifying. You got to watch the race. You got to tune yep. into at least a little bit of free practice. Then you watch the race in this last weekend. I agree with you completely that qualifying during work hours. And again, it wasn't during work hours for everybody, but it was for an awful lot of the world that <laughs> qualifying happened to be on a Friday. Most yeah. people work on a Friday and most of the world. And somebody just mentioned this in the chat, actually, the flag stand mentioned it. Um, and then Saturday, you've got qualifying and then Sunday, you've got the race. So you now have to set an appointment for three consecutive days over the course of a weekend yeah. to be available if you want to consume it live. And typically, Typically you do. So again, more and more I'm out on the concept of a sprint race. I, I think I get it. I get it from a business perspective. I know why it's important to Formula One because mm -hmm. you can charge more for the sanctioning fee. And I get it because you can charge more to your network TV partners. But if you're going to have 25 races, you really need to evaluate how much you're going to ask for your fans. But then Connie's point's perfectly good. They don't care if you watch every race because they just want the biggest pool of potential fans possible. Yeah. And she also said it's hard on the podcasters and... The, the struggle is real. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think that I don't think we're getting any sympathy from anyone. Anyways, like you we, guys we sit don't down in front of a mic on a sympathy. Thursday night. We, we don't deserve it either. <laughs> no, no. All right. Okay. Well, uh, th this is kind of like a nice segue. I like the way that you set up the uh, the, the schedule here. So I'm going to self self gloss with my uh, DRS analogy, and uh, I'll let you talk about this one. So. F1's uh, attempt to get rid of DRS is going to have to it, it's going to have to hang around a little while. And that was one of the things we we didn't really touch on it uh, too much in the race recap that we did last weekend. But that was one thing that uh, was really brought up and mentioned at least on the Sky broadcast was just how long that the race director actually waited to activate the DRS. And I mean, it was understandable why for for a good portion of the race, but it was pretty apparent that by the time that they'd um, 
decided to activate it, that the, the, the track was dry enough. I mean, there was a very well-established uh, dry line, even off the racing line. It didn't look like it was going to be a, a safety issue. But I kind of thought, you know, to myself without, you know, reigniting the whole, you know, the whole debate again. But I'm, I'm glad that when it came to any discussion that we had so far about the race director this year, that it was just coming down to more or less the mechanics of the race itself rather than, I mean, obviously it was a decision to delay the activation of it, or, you know, after, you know, instead of like the traditional lap two or whatever it is under normal circumstances. So that was a bit of a welcome departure considering all the take Abu Dhabi away from from last year but a lot of the other discussions that we had around uh, a lot of the decisions that uh, Michael Massey made regarding track limits and all sorts of other business last year but this was a, an interesting one but I guess it it's you know that is a bit of a side discussion but I think just in general it kind of highlighted the fact that DRS um, you know, it's, it's going to have to stick around for a little while. I, I'll be quite honest. I would like to see it abandoned and moved away from it. I just don't know if the aero package on these cars is quite there just yet. And, 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 you know, on the record, I hate kind of anything like that. That's sort of like, what do you want to say? Stimulates overtaking. And it, it is an artificial thing. I, I hate the term a DRS chain or train. I'd like to see, I'd like to see it gone. And this, the, the cars themselves and the drivers themselves can, can do that without having that, uh, that little boost because, you know, the car that's within a second behind, they get the DRS, the car in front doesn't. And it gives them that opportunity to reduce the, the drag and then get closer, especially at the end of a DRS zone and perhaps make an overtake. Take. So I know I kind of rambling and touched on a number of different bases there, but you know, Mark, it's I'd, all good. I'd, it's I'd love it's to, what we do. It's what we it's do. It's what we're, it's what we're known for. I think <laughs> I for think anybody yeah. that entered Formula One fandom in the last decade, you've never known anything but DRS. And to recap, DRS was introduced as an acknowledgement to the fact that Formula One cars, especially modern Formula One cars, created tremendous amount of turbulence and it makes passing difficult because if you're following closely to a car in front of you, you get this air kicking in, you're fighting oversteer, then you're fighting understeer. It's very difficult to overtake. So DRS is an artificial tool that reduces the amount of drag that a car encounters, especially when they're following or specifically when they're following. So they get an effectively a boost, quote unquote, a boost of performance to help them overtake a car and ultimately it's kind of an equalizer in the sense that look you know the car in front of me is driving through clean air i'm driving through turbulent air and by activating drs i'm reducing a little bit of the drag and it effectively functions as an equalizer i think in the new world what we're starting to see is that drs is less of an equalizer and possibly more of a weapon at least that's what we saw in bahrain and at least what we saw in in jeddah and i steal that that analogy the weapon versus mm -hmm. equalizer from an article that i read from abc news in australia but i agree i don't like it i don't think it should exist in the sport i don't like these artificial tools but i think as much as the fia and formula one want to reduce its addiction to drs and flagstaff which i think is marshall in the chat is talking about this as well i think it's a, a bit of an addictive drug and we mm. saw that during the race which is all these people that would otherwise slander it are now asking where's drs why isn't it inactivated why isn't it activated but i think ideally we get to a pace where we're comfortable enough with the air 
aerodynamic features of these cars that we don't need to worry about DRS. Like DRS shouldn't dominate the conversation. DRS shouldn't be dictating the outcome is, of the racing. Isn't it, Wheel-to-wheel racing should be dictating the outcome of a race. Excuse me, I just wanted to jump in here, but isn't it just to maybe to it. show that that uh, we are now victims of a Formula One slash CIA, CIA uh, psyop, that we're basically become Pavlov's dog, that you know you ring a bell and you start salivating even though that the meat's not there. They don't activate DRS and everyone's hates on DRS all the time. And the one race that they don't activate it because of the, the weather conditions, everyone's up in arms. What's with the DRS? Why is there no DRS? We're all contradicting ourselves. We're really upset about it, but we don't know why. But, so I uh, don't know that <laughs> reference that you just made, but it sounds it sounds similar enough to something that I saw in the office with Jim and Dwight once. So I think I know what you're talking about. I think I know what you're talking with about. Pavlov's dog? You've never heard of that? Yeah. Like it was like an experiment. Like uh, I think what uh, I can't remember. This is like a long time ago. And uh, how old do you think I am? I don't. I remember learning this in school. So I don't know. Maybe I went to some sort of really weird school, or I read it somewhere. Anyways. The whole point of the experiment was that uh, they would put out like a meat or a food or whatever for a dog and they would ring a bell and the dog would salivate and do what dogs do when you give them food. And then eventually what they would do is they would just ring the bell without giving the dog the food and the dog would salivate, right? Like that, all the reactions, both physical and psychological, I guess emotional, the dog would would do that even though that they weren't getting that reward of being given a nice meal with it. So I think that, you know, as Formula One fans, we've almost been, we've become expectant to to DRS, even though we talk trash and hate on it all the time. And I just thought it was a really interesting thing because I I remember Crofty and Paul DeResta talking about it uh, during the race. And I was just thinking, gosh, you know, I I, I kind of thought, because I I watched it a little bit later in the morning, just after the race ended, I started watching the, uh, the, the replay on it when it became uh, available on F1 TV Live. And I was just thinking, this would have been really interesting to watch and have like my my Twitter going at the same time while this was happening in real time to see what the comments were. It's, it's funny because so many people hate about it. And then it just, uh, it, it was... It stood out in my mind at the time during the race, so I thought it was it was kind of an interesting uh, thing. So well, I certainly prefer my office reference because oh, there man. was an episode where Jim would make a sound and then offer Dwight candy, and he did it pretty for episodes much. and episodes. Yeah. And eventually, he made the sound, but he didn't offer the candy, and Dwight put his hand out expecting yeah. the candy. So I think that is a modern a modern interpretation of. Pavlov's, Pavlov's Pavlov's dog. Dog, I think it is. But you know, okay, just, next, I, next I, I love the the office. Before I go into this one, then we'll go into a, a quick break here. I can't remember which episode it was, but I remember uh, Dwight comes in. He's wearing like this real old school like tuxedo, and uh, somebody made the comment, "Oh, Dwight, nice suit." And he said, "Thanks. It was the suit my grandfather was buried in." <laughs> This is like, that's a very Dwight Schrute thing to say. Um, Anyways, uh, just talking about things that I'm not really too much a fan of. And so this is um, via Adam Cooper F1 on Twitter. And so apparently after the trials that they've had in the Bell Helmets in Spa the last year, it's been agreed to update the 2023 F1 technical regs, mandating the use of the helmet cameras uh, for all drivers from 2023 onwards. And... um, 
I'm I'm a little bit kind of mixed. I I didn't really like it the first couple of races. I maybe it doesn't work as well for the night races like in Jeddah in Bahrain because it's kind of dark. I thought it was a little bit interesting in uh, at Imola last weekend, especially you get the rain, you get the spray because we've all kind of like wondered. I mean, the the the, the like the camera pod that they have on the top of the cars, it is um it's it's great. I think that that's been and they've been around for years, but it was a game changer once they introduced those uh, camera of um, you know the, the camera pods but to get that camera or the helmet cam going especially uh, last weekend it was it was fascinating to see okay this is what the driver sees and you know being in day and you see the spray coming up and everything and you see like the water beating and running off the uh, the, the visor on the front of their helmet that I thought was really cool um, so there's obviously use for it i just i'm not crazy about it all the time let's just put it that way i love them i think they are fantastic i love the perspective i love the fact that you can see and experience the aggressiveness of with with which the drivers are pivoting their head looking in their mirrors i love seeing where they're looking at any given moment the only thing that i think can be a little bit distracting or even a little bit nauseating a little bit is the cameras are mounted behind the visor and the camera. So they're only about an inch, an inch and a half away from the driver's eye. So you get a real, real bird's eye view from the driver's perspective, but you get an awful lot of the streaking and glare from the visor itself. So as they pivot their head, there's a lot of streaking. If it could somehow be on the outside of the camera or somehow the lens of the camera could protrude through the visor, I think it would be phenomenal. But I think it's very, very cool. I'm happy. Um, I think it's super cool that they're going to be mandated through the 2023 technical regulations. And hopefully we'll see more of it from all of the drivers because I learned an awful lot about how drivers like Charles Leclerc approach a race based on where they're looking. I also love the fact that so often you can see the drivers looking into a turning point before you can even physically see it. They've already pivoted their head and they're starting to turn the, like, I thought it was fascinating. I'm super happy they're going to continue doing this. I would just love if they could get the lens in front of the visor as opposed to hiding it behind the visor where you get all the streaking of the lights. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, we're just going to go into a break in a moment. Uh, but before we go, just a couple of comments uh, from the live stream I just want to uh, make. So Huffles Puffles said, petition for an office podcast with the Marks. They're all the rage now. So clarification, what, podcasts about the office or we're all the rage like me and you? I I, I don't know. I can't see either. I love the office. I'd be down for that. I, I can, have, I, have you ever listened to the Office Ladies podcast? No, I haven't. It's br- brilliant. I'll yeah. send you a link. Office Ladies is fantastic. I'll, I'll tell you, for, for me, if I ever need like a, a quick laugh or a pick me up, my, my two go tos are The Office and Brooklyn Nine Nine. You know, I, I it's just nice. I find both of those shows hilarious. And then the flag stand uh, has a real old school Simpsons throwback. It says, "I feel like F one in the DTS era is like Homer with the ironic punishments in Hell." Oh, you like donuts, eh? Here's all the donuts in the world. If you think back to that one treehouse of horror from like 20 years ago, and they like these demons are feeding Homer all these donuts, and you know he just uh, never goes crazy. He just I keeps love eating that. them. Here's 23 races, sprints, helmet cams for all. That's awesome. <laughs> That's a great comment. Okay, time for a quick break, guys. We'll be back in just a moment. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And uh, I, I feel like we could really go off the deep end here and, and talk about like our, our favorite comedy moments here, but there's still so much uh, to talk about. But I, I got to check out this office ladies one. I mean, I yeah, I, I have a thought. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I have a thought. During the summer, during the summer break, we should do the non F1 F1 podcast where we literally do a podcast for an hour and a half without any discussion or mention of Formula Dude, One? What do you I, think? I, I am I'm all over that. Yes, please. Yes, please, cool. and thank you. And we'll watch our subs like just. <laughs> it'll just like drop. Advertisers like that. gone. <laughs> listeners gone. Twitter followers gone. We, we don't have to worry. We we can then we can then use all the copyrighted material we we'll want because we'll basically demonetize ourselves and then yeah exactly not like we're raking in any sort of like serious or you know unserious kind of money but anyways it is what it is okay a couple of things here before we get to the mailbag sir sequi zanford keeps its uh, racing permit despite some of the environmental uh, objections so this was uh, ruled on by a uh, a court in the Netherlands, uh, and one of the arguments from the, the the people that launched the protest is that the circuit uh, admits more nitrogen than allowed under previous permits, and damages the 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 Kennemerland Zout nature reserve. Uh, but the Dutch court ruled that this is not the case. So this permit issue or this dispute goes back a couple of years to 2019, and before that uh, permit was issued, the circuit uh, could be used all year around for all sort of races and events including formula one but the 2019 permit limits the use of the circuit to only just several days a year and it also also limits the amount of uh, nitrogen emissions allowed which was not uh, the case in any of the permits that were issued to the track uh, before 2019 uh so according to the court so i don't I guess you know <laughs> they're just making themselves to the uh the experts so because there's less events uh, they ruled that automatically nitrogen emissions are therefore automatically lower than they were before so uh, anyway so so uh, the mobilization for environment the mob which is going to be i th- would think uh, an english uh, translation or they're going to appeal the ruling uh, but uh, despite the fact uh, robert van overdijk is not worried that the dutch grand prix will be in any sort of jeopardy later on this year in uh, september and robert had to say quote the race has never been in jeopardy in the most extreme case we would cancel a smaller event end quote so it sounds like the Scuderia F1 Pod fan track day is canceled. So sorry about that, guys. But uh, I joke. I deposits joke. are non-refundable. <laughs> Read the fine print. Yeah, yeah. If you want your money back, go to Mr. Hamilton's house and bang on his front door. Anyways, <laughs> next one. So we've been talking obviously a lot uh, in the previous weeks and months about what Formula One is going to look like in 2026 and beyond. Obviously, we have a new generation of cars that were introduced uh, this year. We're looking at 26. If you're new to the show, um, that's when the new generation of power units are going to be introduced, or that's what 
everybody's expecting because nothing's been decided upon yet. There's been a lot of discussion, both publicly and I'm sure behind closed doors. But you're so good at these sorts of things, Mark. Why don't you talk about some of the news that's kind of been percolating yeah. up through the through through the ether this week? I'm just having so much fun in the live chat tonight. I don't usually dial in on the live chat, but there's a lot of really fun banter there. So hopefully, hopefully next week we get even more people involved. But Connie, to your question, which character would each F1 driver be if they were in the office? That is in itself an episode that we will do during the summer. So maybe we will do that as another special. But I want to get back to the news. So oh, a couple man, of big who things. would Michael Scott be? Who would be the Michael Scott of Formula One? Jeez. Well, more, more, I would want to know who Ryan would be because he's the kind of the most like ske- kind of creepy, skeptical, like questionable character in the whole. Anyways, Daryl, so, I think would be Fernando. Oh, just because they, okay, like, you need to explain that one to me. Yeah. I, th- I think just from an attitude point of view, like Daryl kind of like, okay. you know, I, I don't really care. I roll yeah. how I roll that. That seems very Fernando. Anyways, yeah. I told you this show could go off the track. As soon as we started talking about the, the, uh, the office, this you goes know, sideways. You know, there's no Grand Prix this weekend. <laughs> so the FIA has a couple of statements, more statements. That's what the FIA is really good at. It seems like that's what they're here for. Hey, actually, but before you aside, read the statement, we should, maybe we should just delineate right now. Do you think the people want to listen to us talk about make office like comparisons to Formula One or talk about? I know they want to hear about the office, but we've got a job to do here. (laughs) Fair enough. So we know that in 2026, Formula One's going to mix up the power unit formula, and it's going to be a significantly different power unit. And the FIA has previously indicated that there are four core pillars of this transition to a new power unit. The first is number one, pillar number one, maintaining the spectacle. The 2026 power unit will have similar performance to the current designs, utilizing high power, high revving V6 internal combustion engines and avoiding excessive performance differentiating to or differentiation to allow for improved raceability. Number two, Two, environmental sustainability. The 2026 power unit will include an increase in the deployment of electrical power up to 50% and utilize a 100% sustainable fuel. Number three, financial sustainability. Work is ongoing to define, consolidate, and improve financial regulations regarding the power units. And the aim is to reduce the overall cost for competitors whilst retaining the cutting edge technology showcase that is the core to F1. And finally, number four, attractive, make them attractive to new power unit manufacturers. The regulations are intended to make it possible and attractive for newcomers to join the sport at a competitive level not like honda the last time where they joined where it took five years of cost and development so (laughs) those we all knew we've been talking about that for six months what we haven't been talking about is f1 and the fia's plans for a chassis revision so obviously we got new cars this year but it sounds like the fia and formula one collaboratively have a vision for the future of the f1 chassis so i think if you've listened to us the assumption is hey we're going to simply take the existing chassis it's obviously going to be evolved and we're going to iterate on it over the course of the next couple of years but in 2026 we'll pluck out the old power unit and dump the new one in That is not going to be the case. So the FIA has revealed plans for the 2026 major significant chassis rule changes. And they are, and I'll make this quick, number one, significantly reduce drag to improve sustainability and efficiency and complement the power unit characteristics, meaning, and this is my interpretation, that the new cars have to be more slippery because they have (laughs) to have less drag because the new power units themselves may produce less power. They're going to have 100% sustainable fuels. They won't have the MG 
you age, they're going to be far more dependent on electrical power. Number two, maintain and improve on recent lessons learned about close racing. So continue to accumulate data based on the current spec of chassis and aero formula and improve upon that. Reduce car dimensions, reduce or contain car mass or mass sustainability, continue path towards the standardization or the simplification of strategically selected components for cost cutting purposes, expand the usage of sustainable materials or technologies and focus on recyclability. And then finally, continued innovation in terms of car safety, moving towards active and connected safety System. So overall, what they're saying here is one, cars are going to need to be more slippery because we don't think we're going to produce as much power from the new power units. We're going to continue to learn from the current formula of aerodynamic characteristics so the cars can be even better and even more raceable. We're going to reduce the size and weight of the cars because they've gotten simply too big, too long, and too heavy. And we're going to make the sport more sustainable, meaning potentially more standardization, which means standard spec parts. So hey, just like today, all the cars have standard spec tires and wheels and fuel cells and halo in the future we could have more standard spec parts or we could simplify the formula for parts that teams do develop themselves and then finally we're going to continue to innovate on safety to make the cars more safety or more safe or safer than they've ever been before so we got new power units coming in 2026 sounds like we could expect a pretty significant revision to the chassis and aerodynamics as well you know, not really t- wanting to ignite the the whole cars t- are too big and too wide uh, discussion, but I, I just I just have to make this comment right now. I remember growing up the first time I saw a Formula One car in real life. I think it was an MP46 on uh, one, one of the times when we were visiting nice. in nice. in England. And I just remember seeing, like, just seeing pictures of it in magazines and seeing blurry pictures on TV watching the races growing up on CBC. And I remember seeing it. I remember, like, first of all, I was like, start struck. I'm like, oh my God, it's a McLaren. It's an MP4. Oh my God, this is Ayrton Senna's car. And it was just like, just you know, my mind blown by that. And then all of a sudden, as soon as I start, stopped hyperventilating and uh, realized, uh, okay, now I can start looking at this car up close, I was struck at how small it was in, in real life. And it was really cool, that graphic that kind of, I think somebody compiled it about a year ago, when you kind of see the evolution of Formula One cars through the years and through the decades, especially at these sort of, I guess, watershed or milestone uh, moments when you had like the different sort of uh, eras, like when they go to the different designs, it was, it was really, really cool. And if you look at, especially the cars that we have now, say V6 turbo hybrid era, and then you go back uh, before that, and then to the nineties, to the eighties, to the seventies and stuff like that, they are remarkably uh, bigger, but I personally, I quite like them. I think they're kind of cool, but ultimately I guess things will continue to evolve and it's it's interesting even though we're in this new era I can't help but feeling this is almost like a beta test am I the only one that kind of feels this because I feel like it's still evolving like they, they seem really happy with where things are right now that that it hasn't been it, I wouldn't say it's been a home run I'd say it's probably been a solid double maybe a triple the way that the new cars have been and but there's obviously still more that they can do to evolve it and you know that this whole discussion perhaps about revamping the chassis and where it might go from there i think that's a a fascinating 
you know, track that the sport could be on, especially with the, you know, these new uh, sustainable fuels and these exotic fuels that they're coming up with. And then like uh, these new power units, however they turn out, I think is a really, really exciting time in the, uh, in this, uh, in Formula One. I really do. Yeah, I agree. And obviously we're, we're somewhat homers and we obviously want the sport to be successful. We want to promote the sport because we want the show to be successful. But like you, having watched the sport now for 30 or 35 years, I don't think I've ever been more optimistic. And, mm. you know, when, when Liberty bought the sport in 20, late 2016, early 2017, I was highly skeptical about what an American media company who's principal role in sports was the ownership of the Atlanta Braves was going to be able to bring to Formula One. But on right. the other hand, my perspective was it can't be worse than what Bernie's doing to the sport as he continued <laughs> to- You mean like in totally to- not promoting it and uh, yeah. kind of like running it uh, as a caveman, you know? <laughs> totally. And just promote continuing to promote it while his principal audience- died let's be totally honest like he was targeting an audience that was a demo that was dying by the day i think they've done fantastic work and it wasn't simply about making the product more accessible on tv and streaming and social media it's just they've done some pretty dramatic things from a rule perspective and from a concord uh, agreement perspective that i never thought the teams would collectively agree to and obviously the 2026 power unit is going to be a significant departure from now but uh I think the teams are aligned and I think it's a good thing. And when you read things like make the new power unit attractive to new power unit manufacturers, well, that's a really good thing because the 2014 power unit certainly did not have that in mind. It certainly was not designed in a way that would make it attractive for a new competitor to enter the sport. So it's, it's, it's cool. And I'm happy with, with the way that the sport's going. Yeah. Hey, uh, let's do one more uh, story here and then we can uh, dip into the mailbag. Uh, but before we do, the flag stand had an awesome comment uh, just uh, regarding our whole kind of like ongoing office slash Formula One comparisons. He thinks that the the the, the comparison or the uh, the Michael Scott of Formula One was uh, was Michael Massey. So I'm just going to put that out there. But I think that I, I think there's something to that. No comment. <laughs> no comment. I'll let you comment on this one because I'm going to let you, I'm I'm going to I'm going to give you the uh, the the low hanging fruits because this is going to give you well I'm, this is not low hanging fruit but I'm going to give you the opportunity to uh, to promote something that uh, you've worked on. So this uh, just to tee this one up uh, for you, Mark, uh, that uh, the W Series will be live on Sky Sports from 2022 after they signed a multi year deal with the uh, All Female Racing Championship. So why don't you just give us a little bit uh, more background on there and then please promote what's going to drop oh, next ah, yes yes yes, yes. Got a i good love it one the timing is perfect yes i was wondering why we saved this story to the end so the w series has inked a multi-year deal to broadcast all of their races live on sky sports so not necessarily something that's of significance to us in north america obviously w series is a still a little bit challenging to access but it is promising that at least throughout europe w series is now going to have live broadcasting on a premier TV network. So that's very, very cool. Now, the reason that this is a a well-timed story is not only because it's a good news story for a, a racing series that continues to deserve increased exposure, but earlier this week, sorry, no, last week on Thursday, we had the opportunity to sit down and interview Megan Gilks. And Megan Gilks is a university student in London at the Imperial College of London working on an aeronautical 
engineering degree. Now, aside from that, she is also getting ready for an internship with Aston Martin that starts this fall. And she is also the youngest race winner in the history of the W series. So this exceptionally talented young Canadian driver sat down with us. We had a fantastic interview. We crowdsourced some questions from our listening audience. Uh, We recorded, like I said, a little over a week ago, but because it was in the middle of a season, it's still timed really well. We're going to be dropping that one on Sunday. So it will be ready for your Monday commute. It's a nice tight 45, 50 minute episode. We hope you really, really enjoy it. It's part of our ongoing interview series. And if you like, that one you're probably also going to like the episode that we're going to drop the week after we also sat down this last week with amber balkin amber is a young canadian race car driver racing in nascar and that was really enlightening to learn a little bit about a stock car series or stock car racing in general which is not a sport i know a lot about but in the meantime you'll see the megan interview drop this coming sunday it'll be in your feed for monday morning awesome yeah really looking forward to that one With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Okay, well, let's dip into the email. The first one is from uh, Maciej Circas, and Maciej's question is, uh, do you think it's fair to say Mercedes is the biggest victim of the cost cap? They seem not able to work on solutions as efficient as other teams. Um, and there's another one. Is, is this um, two, is this a two-parter from Maciej? Or is this yeah, a second is. one, a second one? No, okay. no. Those two are from from the same person, and you did a phenomenal job pronouncing his name, by the way. I was actually messaging him via DM. I'm like, I don't want to butcher this. And then I'm like, I'm just going to Dude, don't you have any, like, like Polish friends? I know, like, legit four machos. So that maybe it's just me. Maybe I know know all of them that live locally. But anyways, <laughs> but after his questions, yeah. I do have another question from McKay Mortensen. So we'll get to okay. McKay's question afterwards. But please fire away. Yeah, I, I think this is a, a great uh, question, and uh, there's no I don't know if they're the, the the biggest victim of the cost cap so far. I would say that they're the most obvious victim of the cost cap uh, so far. I mean, everybody's working within the same financial restraints, the same framework of what they can and cannot do, where they can spend their money, where they can spend their resources, what they can develop, what they can't, what's locked down, what's free to develop, whatever that is, everybody um, has to use the, 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 they, they, they have the same rules and regs as, as any other team. I think what uh, the, the, you know, what, what Machi's point is, is in the past when there was no cost cap, obviously Mercedes, unlimited budget, obviously one of the most attractive teams, I wouldn't just say in motorsport, but probably in sports that you want to work for. I mean, um, if you're, you know, you're lucky enough to have that skill set to be able to, uh, you know, you know, get into like the, the, the front door, let alone for an interview, uh, but to actually get a job. But the, the, the point is, I mean, we, we have not seen Mercedes have it all their own way all the time. They mostly have, but since 2014, they, they have had some rough patches here and there. And whenever they've had those those problems, they've basically gone back to the factory. They've basically worked 24-7, and they've always overcome those issues. But now, in this cost cap era, if you have a problem, number one, 
that part or that, you know, whatever it is, that might be frozen just by the regs. You might not be able to uh, develop it. And then number two, even if you can, you just can't throw unlimited time and money and resources and CFD and wind tunnel time and all the sort of things at it to figure this thing out. I mean, that's why we're four races into the season and teams are still struggling with with porpoising to some extent or, or the other. So, I mean, that might be a phenomenon that we see persist throughout the entire season, but they went for a very radical design on the W13 and you know if you hear like Lewis and you hear Toto and all you know all the people from Mercedes they've said it at one point or another they think that fundamentally they have an excellent car but they just don't really they, they haven't really understood it yet and they think that that there's plenty of potential to unlock in this car but the, the question is are they going to be able to unlock that potential just due to the the, the restrictions and the, the 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 cost cap that is in place or at some point are they just going to say okay you know this is what it is for the w13 in 2022 we're just going to ride it out for the rest of the year and we're going to throw all our eggs and all our resources into developing the w14 for 2022 23 and this one will go up on a big oversized frame in the boardroom as the car that we thought was going to be the best one that just had this massive undeveloped potential that was just never realized and it bugs us until this day i'm kind of thinking like they would 20 years down the road so that's just me being me there's two ways you can look at this. The, the first is that we could still be wildly optimistic that they're going to fix this, right? We know what the issue is. The The issue, one of them at least, is their significant porpoising issues. Yep. And the fact that they've had to ri- raise the car significantly higher than they want to, to mitigate the bouncing of the car. Now, what we could also point to is the fact that, hey, they have scored, as, as Meg said in our chat tonight, they've scored a podium in half the races they've entered this year. That, that's positive. The other thing we can look at at the fact is that if you flash back to Bahrain a month and a half ago, I think we had all confidently written McLaren off for the year that they were done. They were nowhere. They were not a midfield team. They were a backmarker team and they just scored a really strong poll in, in Imola. So we have 19 races left. They still have significant resources, but like you said, and this is where this year is going to be different than any year prior to the most previous they have limited resources, right? Like if this was 2017 and they have a deficit, let's just go and hire 10 new engineers and build a new lab that we could do that. And the reality is they have a headcount cap because there's a cost cap, meaning that if we have a problem with our front wing, we need to go to the aerodynamicist and say, hey guys, what are you working on? And they'll say, here's the laundry list of 50 things that we're working on. Okay, we need to sit down and reprioritize what you're working on because we think this thing, and then they need to build a business case and then they need to build a performance case. Like It's very different. In the past, you would just hire more people or you would just build more labs or you would just build more parts. And I think there's an adjustment period for them. You also have to think as well that the championship last year or the run for a championship last year probably compromised a little of their competitiveness out of the gate this year. You have to believe that with all of their wealth and all of their talent that they were committing some resources through the back half of last season to the 2021 title rather than the 2022 title. I still think they're going to be very competitive this year. I just don't know when that's going to be. I was expecting a significant upgrade package in Imola. I'm sure it's going to come. I just don't know when. But I think the other consideration, like you said, is simply the cost cap. At some point, you run out of money. 
you simply run out of an operating budget for this year and upgrades stop because you can't develop any more parts. You know, th- this is just going to be a, like a comment about the, 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 the cost cap in general. I mean, there, there's no point in debating, you know, wh- well, I guess we could debate whether it should be there or not. I think in general, I think it, it is a good idea. But the one thing I like about the, car- the cost cap is there is a hard limit to it, right? And I like the fact that there is no loophole, that there's no luxury tax, that you don't go up to that, like whatever it is, $140 million. And then if you spend $141 million, that there's this whatever, say, 50% 50% luxury tax or whatever is on top of it that gets distributed to, to the other, like the, 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 say the, the lower, say, say your Williamses and your Haases that score the least amount of points. You know, I get the point of a luxury tax. I just like that for formula one, everybody gets 140, is it 140 this year? And then 135 and then 130 yeah. the year after or something. Cause that's where they're going to eventually is $130 million per year. But I just like that. The, the fact is Everybody gets that. There's no luxury tax. You can't spend a penny over what that hard limit is. And, you know, if you run out of cash, then, you know, too bad. That's it's 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 either the same for everyone or you just let them do whatever the hell they want. That's that's the way that I see it. Right. Okay. So uh, the the second part that that was still from the same uh, emailer, right? From Mache. The second part of yeah. the question. Okay. Yeah. So the second part is rumor has it is Hamilton is statistically in inverted commas the best driver of the modern era. So it is fair to say that this is a season statistically on a level with Latifi performance wise as a second driver in a team. If you compare a teammate, I know it's a bit harsh, but I'm seriously interested in your opinion. So yeah, I mean it's been a tough you know start to the season i mean you you mentioned it really nice in the 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 race recap that we did on sunday night about how after the race we heard like this unprecedented almost twilight zone like message from total wolf apologizing to lewis hamilton just like how bad the car is he knows it's undrivable it's an unacceptable situation i mean we we never i i mean i never expected to hear anything like that, you know, <laughs> be said over the radio uh, or even in, in the press by anybody at uh, Mercedes. But, you know, the thing that that really surprises me is just the fact that, uh, and I, I think that Tim really broke it down on Sunday night show re- nicely, that when you look at the difference between Lewis and, and George, I mean, George seems to be outperforming Lewis right now, especially in, in qualifying. And, and Tim made the great point that, well, Georgie hasn't had the greatest car in his career so far in Formula One, you know, having having to drive a Williams, which has been a notoriously difficult car to drive. And he's had to do so much more with so much less. And he's just been able to, and this doesn't mean that he's a better driver than Lewis, but he's just been able to maybe finesse those that 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 specific skill set of trying to extract anything out of a car that is uh, you know really difficult to drive now lewis is dealing with that and i wouldn't say that you know, formula 1 cars are easy by any stretch of the imagination to drive i i just think what we're seeing right now is 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 lewis having to adjust to driving a car that is is so much more challenging for him than cars that he's had so far in his career, especially when it comes to Mercedes cars. I know that there there was in the last couple of years there 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 were some comments like 
that they made that this car isn't quite as uh, you know as good as the one as a year before but they, they always would get it figured out and Lewis would go out and do amazing things and win races and championships but it, I think this just goes to show that this is just a very difficult car for them to understand and like you say there's some of the things that they've had to do to change the setup to the car just to minimize that porpoising effect and I think it's just making it difficult uh, difficult all around but I mean Mache raises a good point I mean statistically this year I mean he is no better than some of these uh, lower scoring drugs drivers but you know i mean when, when you look at the bulk of uh, lewis's work in formula one i mean you know his record speaks for itself over the course of this amazing career that this uh you know once in a lifetime athlete has had hamilton has not forgotten how to drive a formula one car since abu dhabi last year but it isn't a good look it's not a good look that toto is getting on the radio and apologizing yep. to lewis for his car while his teammate finishes fourth in a race and i get it there was only 30 seconds between the two of them and and russell was still a mile off a podium but it's not a good look and it's not a good look that there's so much delta between the two drivers in qualifying and in the race so I don't know that I would compare Hamilton in any meaningful way with anyone else. I think this is a bit of an anomaly, and I'm still very confident that once they get the porpoising under control and address some of their drag issues, they'll be in a much better position. But I just I don't feel good about the current delta between Russell and Hamilton. And I think to your point and to Tim's point last week, what we're seeing from Russell is an adept ability to extract maximum value from a poor package. And I think it's probably (laughs) compensating for the weaknesses in this car that Russell has done such a phenomenal job of extracting so much, so much value from that car. So kudos to him. Again, I'm, I'm disappointed to see Hamilton finishing outside of the points. And I think we talked about that last that last episode with Tim that this most previous race was effectively his worst performance on pure race since a 2009 race with mm-hmm. McLaren like it was not it was not good and statistically it's not going to hurt him in the record books but hopefully we can find a way to hopefully Mercedes can find a way to get him a better ride you know considering like uh, you know the polish that organization has I, I would I'd be curious if somebody you know from uh, you know the, the PR department uh, had a little chat with uh, Toto afterwards is it you know that maybe is a conversation that's saved better for when Lewis comes back to the garage yeah rather I than, totally agree you know, I, I, I totally get the uh, um, the, the the frustration that Lewis is having and Toto's having because they're all going to be frustrated to to some degree or another, and, and and I can totally see Toto you know wanting to apologize for that and and acknowledge that fact. I just find that that's a very I'd almost want to say unmercedes like way of doing it out in the public forum like that. I, I just don't I, I don't see what there is to gain by saying it like in a publicly available. Uh, you know, way that that uh, it is over race radio because the 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 producers did what we would all do in the same position. This they were probably saying, "Like, oh my gosh, this is gold. We got to broadcast this because yeah. you know this this is something we never expected to hear." So, I thought it was a, a very very uh, interesting moment, and um, I, yeah, I, I keep asking myself that. Obviously, it was an emotional decision by 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 Toto being in a position that that none of them are used to, and obviously, like I said, being very frustrated frustrated and I wouldn't say desperate but obviously upset and frustrated about the situation but I just don't see what they they, they you know he he sought to gain or what the point of uh, bringing it out in the public uh, like that was so anyhow uh, do you have any more twitter questions 
Yeah, so one more question. Well, actually, a comment and a question from McKay Mortensen. And this this question is actually a little bit older. Um, Well, actually, two questions. So the first one is, hey, guys, love today's episodes. These interview episodes have really done a lot to highlight the fascinating people working around Formula One. I can't wait for more. May I recommend F1 Tony from TikTok? She has done lots of work to make complex topics very approachable and is a very strong advocate for diversity within every aspect of motorsport. So, McKay, on that front, I am not a TikTok user. I cannot... I cannot fathom bringing even more social media into my life, (laughs) but I did check out F1 Tony. It looks like she's doing some really, really cool work. And I'll certainly explore that as a a potential, um, as a potential candidate for a, a future interview for all of the reasons that you listed. Now, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about tech sharing amongst teams and how controversial it is and how fiercely independent teams like McLaren get very uncomfortable when they see relationships like the Haas Ferrari relationship. The fear often is that there's two-way tech sharing or that there's knowledge sharing from one of the bigger teams to a customer team because they are effectively buying parts and they could be benefiting from confidential information and IP, wind tunnel data, CFD data, et cetera. So his question is, so in yesterday's show, this would have been last Thursday, Um, So in yesterday's show, you mentioned that Ferrari couldn't benefit in any way from sharing data with Haas. Wouldn't Ferrari utilizing Haas's significantly larger allocation of wind tunnel and CFD resources be beneficial? And what he means by that is similar to the NBA where they have a draft lottery and the worse your performance, the higher odds that you have of uh, scoring the top pick in the draft in Formula One. The best teams are allocated less wind tunnel time. So wind tunnel time is incredibly important to teams because it helps their designers and their aerodynamicists draw conclusions on what the design of the car should be. If you win the championship, you have significantly less time in the wind tunnel than a bottom ranking team. And I think what his question here is, if there's two-way tech sharing happening between Haas and Ferrari, and Haas has all the wind tunnel time in the world because they finished so poorly in the championship, could Ferrari not benefit from that. So I'll pose that question to you again. Wouldn't Ferrari utilizing Haas's significantly larger allocation of wind tunnel and CFD resources be beneficial to Ferrari themselves? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, honestly, I, I'm just going to maybe speculate on that a little bit because I don't know exactly what the um, the, the, the rules are around that. I just find it, uh, you know, interesting to discuss because Matteo Bonato, the uh, Ferrari team principal, said just a couple of weeks ago when this – so there were some complaints coming out from, uh, you know, the, 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 the usual – unnamed other teams in the paddock, which we all can kind of suspect who they might be, right? Uh, you know, he, he was pretty upfront about it and said that, you know, that they had nothing to hide and there was no, uh, you know, they're going to be pretty transparent about it if people wanted to, to come and look. And I mean, you know, he could obviously be bluffing and say, you know, come take a look and you'll see that we're not doing anything while, you know, secretly thinking to himself, oh my God, what have I done? I hope nobody comes and shows up at Marinello tomorrow because we are going to be busted. Um, anyways, I, I just, I would find it that the risk would be too much, you know, if you go sort of risk versus reward. I mean, if uh, Ferrari was in that uh, position to try and tech share or glean numbers out of like what, what Haas is doing, the fact that, you know, they already got busted a couple of years ago for the engine issues and that what we all suspect was an illegal fuel map 
that they're already sort of kind. I wouldn't say they're under the microscope, but I would say that they're still on the radar to a certain extent. And I think that if anything seemed like it was a little bit shady going on, I would think it wouldn't be too long before somebody somewhere wanted to take a little bit more of a of a closer in-depth look and see what's what's going on there. And like I say, I, I just, uh, I mean, Bonato could be bluffing that there's nothing untowards going on. But like I say, I, I just find it, uh, you know, the risk versus reward Ferrari seems to be too great for me uh, for, for them to to even want to go there. I just, I, I just don't see what they would have to benefit from it. It's funny you bring up that 2019 cheating scandal that was never broken open by a really intrepid reporter. But yeah. if you look at the F1 2022 standard supply components, among them are fuel system primer pumps and flexible pipes and hoses, fuel flow meter, power unit pressure and temperature sensors, high pressure fuel pump, effectively everything related to fuel flow and the fuel pump and the fuel and the actual fuel tank are now standard supply components. So what the FIA has effectively said is we no longer trust anybody to develop these parts because of their now well-established shenanigans. <laughs> we are simply going to force you to buy them all from the same supplier. So I got to kick out of that. But I think you're right. I think that whatever incremental learnings or data they could gain by extracting I don't know, information from Haas's CFD. Um, because again, the, the amount of CPU cycles a team has access to mm-hmm. is regulated by the sport now as well because server costs are so high. I, I think that whatever minimal gains they could have there would be vastly offset by the potential financial penalties because while the FIA clearly went easy on them in 2019, I would be very confident that if they were caught being up to some old shenanigans again, that the penalty would be pretty significant. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I kind of uh, think in this case, it's kind of Occam's razor, whatever the simplest, uh, you know, solution or explanation has to be the, you know, the most logical and the, uh, the, the, the real one. I mean, for, especially for a team like a Ferrari, that's kind of on the, uh, no, I'd say, yeah, that they're still kind of like on the bounce back and trying to recover to where they were, say, pre-2019. I mean, they've obviously got a really, really good driver lineup. I mean, they surprised everybody right out of the gate this year. I, I think that they just have way too much uh, to lose by getting uh, caught up in anything that's uh, not uh, above. Uh, fun above to speculate board. about. Oh, though. yeah. It's so much fun to talk about. I mean, just like, and I, I think you made a really, really good point there just uh, now that there's these parts that uh, are mandated that they have to to buy or, or purchase that, uh, you know, they, they can't develop themselves. It's kind of when you sort of take all these sort of uh, things that we've speculated and talked about uh, as fans for years and kind of read between the lines, you can kind of maybe get an idea of what the uh, the, the, the situation was, even though it was never fully uh, disclosed. So anyways, a- anything else for the, the mailbag tonight or is, is that it? No, pretty, pretty light. I, I just want to make sure I add again, and you gave me the opportunity to to promote this a little bit, but our interview series continues. Uh, we have a great interview coming up with Lily Herman of Engine Failure Firm of Fame and a ton of other great stuff. We dropped the Magnus Greaves interview a couple of days ago. He's really excited. He's in Miami right now. He helped produce the trackside guide for that event. We got a sneak peek at it a couple of days ago. Yeah, it's beautiful. fantastic. He's dropping the third issue of Race Weekend to coincide with Miami, the U.S. special, with a fantastic interview with Daniel Ricardo. Of course, we have the Megan Gilks interview coming up this Sunday. Really excited that we got to sit down with a W Series race winner. I thought that was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And also the Amber Balkan interview that's coming up is somebody that doesn't know anything about stock car racing or NASCAR. I thought it was absolutely 
fascinating to have that conversation with her. And she's obviously a pioneering spirit in that sport and making really significant inroads and doing a lot to promote the fact that there are significantly underrepresented um, and marginalized groups in that sport as well. And she's doing uh, a tremendous, tremendous job uh, representing Canada and, and, and everyone else. So great, uh, great stuff coming, my friend. Yeah, and also, uh, you guys, uh, we, we promote the Race Weekend magazine around here a lot. We love the work that Magnus and his team do. If you want to check it out, go into our show notes. We've linked to it uh, there. takes you right to the website. And uh, it is one of the, I, yeah, I mean, you got the Race Weekend in the 70s issue right there. For those of you watching on uh, YouTube, it is absolutely one of the best Formula One-related publications I've seen in my entire life. And it's just amazing that Magnus is a local guy here in Vancouver and how much cool, like, F1 content and, and stuff is being produced here that kind of really flies under the radar and there's this sort of almost this underground formula one community here in the lower mainland uh, that uh, we never really knew about until we started doing this and then all all these we're all kind of collaborating together which is uh which is awesome but anyways i think we'll wrap it up there you have been listening to the podcast that is always up to speed with dunder mifflin broadcasting from beautiful scranton pennsylvania no not really but that was uh, that was good fun that uh, those office references uh, a little earlier but guys no race weekend uh, this week we, we get a bit of a breather which is which is good because there's an opportunity to, to do other things like mark said look for the um, the next interview to drop it'll be in your feed sunday night slash monday morning so look for it then and on behalf of myself and mr mark hamilton thank you for listening thank you for watching want to get in touch send us a tweet at scootery f1 pod uh, on twitter or send us an email at scootery f1 pod at gmail.com that's it that's a wrap have a great weekend talk to you guys soon bye for now